Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We are getting close to the conclusion of our journey through this book, all about the surpassing greatness of the Son of God. And now as we're in Advent season, um, these reasons just become uh, reasons for us to rejoice all the more uh, as we consider the significance of the Son of God coming, uh, becoming one of us that he might redeem us. And all of these wonderful ways we've been seeing in this book about how Jesus is so much greater than anyone or anything else that we might worship him. So Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to jump right in and read the first verse because this will raise the issue that we'll be focusing on uh, in this message. Chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's talking here about those Old Testament examples of genuine faith in God that he just discussed in chapter 11. So this great cloud of witnesses, because we have those, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this verse compares living life as a believer in Jesus, living with the kind of genuine faith that he's been talking about. It compares living that life to running a race. And by race, he's not talking about a short sprint, like a 100-meter dash or something. He is referring to a long-distance run like a marathon. And the reason we need to understand that comparison, the reason we need to know that living as a believer in Jesus is like running a marathon, is because the same thing you need to run a marathon, you need to live as a believer in Jesus, namely endurance. Endurance. And as soon as you hear that, some of you are probably going, why didn't I stay home today? I don't want to think about endurance. Because we know endurance means something's hard, right? Nobody talks about enduring easy things. I did not endure my Thanksgiving meal. I enjoyed it a lot. And nobody talks about enduring a, ple- you know, a wonderful vacation. But a marathon? Well, that would require a lot of endurance because it's hard. It's not hard to start. I mean, anybody can start a marathon. Even a total non-runner, and I mean non-runner like myself, could start a marathon. I could put on some running shoes. I could tape a number to my shirt, line up there. When the gun goes off, I could go, man, for like at least 30 seconds or something. (laughs) Starting's not hard, but to keep on going all the way, 26 plus miles, and finally cross that finish line to keep going all the way to the end, well, that's what's hard. Endurance 
Endurance is what you need to keep going when it's hard. And that's exactly the point. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we need the same thing. We need that in order to keep on running the race we're in called life. To keep on running, to keep going when it's hard. It's one thing to start as a Christian. It's quite another thing to keep on going all the way to the end until you cross the finish line. Because following Jesus can be really, really hard. And, you know, I used to hear things like that when I was young and fairly new Christian and thought I knew everything. And, and I remember thinking, yeah, you know, they'd say about endurance and it's hard and everything. And I'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. But you really grasp it. It's not until you really go through some really hard times that you begin to understand and relate to the kinds of things this chapter is going to be talking about. Because following Jesus can be really, really hard. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of endurance. Maybe you think of kind of a, you know, grim-faced, grit-your-teeth determination to just keep going and not quit no matter how much it hurts. That's not the kind of endurance this is talking about. That's not the kind of endurance we're going to be thinking about. This endurance comes from faith in Jesus. In other words, this is an endurance that keeps us going, not because of how tough we are, but because we know how great Jesus is. And because we know He's waiting there for us at the finish line. And He is going to right every wrong. And He is going to make every ounce of pain we've suffered worth it. And in fact, He is with us even now during the race in spirit. His Holy Spirit is with us. So, this, endur this endurance comes from pursuing Him, pursuing the joy to be had in Him. Joy at the finish line. That's exactly what we see now as we go on to verse 2. So, let us run the race with endurance, looking ahead to Jesus, who's at the finish line, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, notice this, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this great joy, this great glory has come to Him now. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, meaning they haven't killed you yet, you're not dead. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. The words have to are not in the original. That you endure. You endure for discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all 
all of his family have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us that we, uh, for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So notice that verse 3 tells us that without endurance, we are likely to grow weary, faint-hearted. That's a description of despair. Despair is this overwhelming sense that to keep on going is completely pointless. Which is exactly how I would feel if I tried to run a marathon. I would ask myself, what, what is the point? What is the point of all this pain? And I would conclude, none. There's no point. Stop running. Drop out of the race. There are going to be times when following Jesus feels like that. When you can't see the point. You, you just feel like to keep on trusting him, to keep on doing what he says to do, it, it just is going to feel impossibly difficult. It's going to seem like maybe the better thing to do is just drop out of the race. Stop doing what Jesus says and take an easier path. And that's exactly what was happening to the first readers of this. They were in one of those times. When they had first, these were Jewish people who had first, when they heard the good news about Jesus being the Messiah in whom all of the promises of God come to fulfillment, when they first heard that, they responded with enthusiasm. It's like, yeah, this is great. But now, now staying loyal to Jesus was becoming very, very difficult. Uh, their religious leaders had decided that following Jesus was, was not acceptable. And so they were experiencing all kinds of heat feeling all this pressure, you know, knock it off with the Jesus thing. Stop talking about him. Stop gathering with other people who believe in him. Just quit it. And people were actually losing their jobs. Some of them were losing their homes, their possessions. Their communities had become very hostile to anyone following Jesus. And so, just as Jesus had predicted, just as Jesus had told us, they were being hated because of him. And it hurt. And so some of them were wondering, uh, is, this re is this really worth it? I, I don't know. It just, it's starting to feel like it's pointless. You know, it doesn't take a lot of ima imagination to sort of see ourselves in a similar situation. Because some of the things that Jesus taught us to believe... Some of the things Jesus taught us to do are in direct opposition to some 
increasingly popular and powerful ideas in our culture. Like his teaching about marriage. That it's intended by God to be the lifelong union of one man and one woman. And that idea is not only disputed today, it is considered by many to be even hateful and mean to hold that view and, and talk about that view. What about his teaching on forgiveness? How hard is that? Well, it's not hard at all if you don't have anything to forgive. As C.S. Lewis pointed out, everybody thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they have something to forgive. And then, when you've been seriously wronged or betrayed, forgiving the one who hurt you feels impossible. Or how about his uh, teaching on submission? Submission's easy. When the leader's doing exactly what you think they should do. But what about when they seem to be ignoring your needs, your rights? Submitting feels impossibly difficult. So does laying up treasure in heaven. When your financial situation seems very insecure. So does telling the truth when telling the truth might cost you your job. So does saying no to a relationship you really, really want because it doesn't line up with God's word. And the person you really want a relationship with doesn't know Jesus. When trusting and obeying Jesus feels so hard that you want to quit, how do you keep going? How do you endure? Well, here's the answer this this Scripture is giving us. The answer is this. You have to remember. You have to call to mind. You have to hold on to what is true about your suffering. About the hardship. You have to believe what's true about it. See, pain distorts our thinking. When you're really hurting, you are tempted to believe all kinds of things that are not true. Things about God, things about you, things about how how you can experience true happiness, enduring happiness, ultimate happiness. So when we're hurting, that's when we have to intentionally tell ourselves what is actually true about our pain. And we get that, of course, from God. We get that from Him. And that's what this is telling us. This is telling us what we need to remember in order to endure and keep going and not quit. So we're going to look at two things. Here's the first thing to remember. Remember what Jesus suffered and what came of it. Call to mind what Jesus suffered And what came of it. So verse 2 tells us to look to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look what came of his suffering. The glory. The joy. 
Okay, three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Meaning, you're not dead yet, they haven't killed you yet, keep going. <laughs> How's that supposed to help? I mean, really, how is that supposed to help? Don't be afraid to ask questions when you think about Scripture. God wants you to understand. So you read, okay, consider Jesus, think about what he suffered. How does that help me? Is that basically saying, hey, you're not dead yet. Jesus suffered way worse than you are. Suck it up, soldier. Is that what this is telling us? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. It's certainly true that Jesus experienced pain far worse than we can imagine. And the physical pain was bad enough. Uh, apparently, crucifixion was designed as a method of execution that would prolong the agony of dying as long as possible by slowly suffocating you to death. Because that's what would happen when you were hanging there. You couldn't take a breath. And so you had to pull yourself up on those spikes and then breathe. But you could only hold that for a little while. Then you had to let go. And it just went on and on and on, prolonging your agony until you finally suffocated. So there was that. But then even worse than that was the emotional agony Jesus went through, experiencing the guilt of all of our sin placed on him and feeling utterly abandoned by his father. Jesus experienced hell on the cross. So you and I would never have to. So, yeah, there may be some of that. Look, your suffering's not as bad. Come on, keep going. I don't think that's the main way this is meant to help us, though. Because I don't think that fits with how the rest of this book urges us to stay loyal to Jesus. How does it do it? It keeps reminding us of how great he is. And it keeps telling us how great our joy is going to be if we don't quit. How great it's going to be when God brings to final fulfillment all of his promises in Jesus. That's how it encourages us. And so the main thing to remember about Jesus' suffering is that no matter what it looked like, it wasn't pointless. It was leading to something glorious. All of it was part of a plan to bring about that glory and that joy. None of it was meaningless. God used the sinful choices of evil people, for which they were totally responsible, by the way. Nobody held a gun to their head and said, hey, do this. They freely chose to do what they did, but God used their evil choices to bring about unimaginable joy and glory for Jesus and for those of us who belong to him. And so, if you're suffering because you're identified with him, then your suffering isn't meaningless either. It's all part of the same plan. The same plan to bring glory and joy out of great evil. Because Jesus is now exalted to the right hand of God. And that's where we're going if we belong to him. We're just not there yet. See, I think that's the point. The, the glory and the joy are still future. 
and it's still future because you haven't shed your blood yet. You haven't come to the finish line. You're still in it. You're still in the middle of it. You're still in the battle. But hang on. Because if you're sharing in His suffering, you're going to share in His glory. That's actually what it tells us. Look at 1 Peter 4.13. This is amazing. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Remember that. Remember that. It will help when you're suffering because you're loyal to Jesus. Say, okay, well, what about the other pain I experienced? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with being identified with Jesus. It's just these circumstances that hurt. What about then? Well, here's the other thing to remember. Remember that all of your hardship, all of it, is discipline from a father who loves you. All of it is discipline from a father who loves you. That's what verses 5 through 11 are all about. It's telling us that when you experience hard, painful times, you should view them as discipline from your father in heaven who loves you, and it, not because you've necessarily done anything wrong. That's usually what comes to mind when we think of discipline. You know, we think of getting hauled off to the woodshed. Does anybody have woodsheds anymore? I don't even know if that even is a thing. Hauled off to the woodshed, spank whatever. Some correction because you did something wrong. Well, it can mean that, and it often does mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that because the word discipline simply means training or can mean just training. Now, the training is hard. You think of the discipline somebody does if they're going to run a marathon or some other athletic event or whatever. It's hard. It's, it's painful. It's unpleasant. But here's the key. It's meant to teach us something for our good, for our good. Think of it this way. Our Father is using something we don't like to bring about something we will like. He's using something we don't like to bring about something we do like. Okay, so when hard times come, and they do, and they will, yeah, by all means, examine yourself. See if you've gotten off track. You know, see if you need to repent and get back on God's path. But hard times don't happen just when we blow it. So any time, any time you experience something hard, something painful, see that experience, view it as discipline from your Father in heaven, and that will help. Really? Will it really? How will that help? How will it help to regard all of your hardship as discipline? Okay, I'm going to give you three ways. These are three ways that occurred to me. I think they're here. First of all, if, if all of your hardship is discipline, 
And if you're a believer in Jesus, it is. If all of your hardship is discipline, then that means you're part of God's family. You're part of the family. Because every healthy family includes discipline. Discipline is necessary to raise children into healthy adults that other people actually want to be around. Okay? Because one of the things we have to learn is self-control. We have to learn to say no to certain impulses. And discipline is how we learn that. Now, I know, I know there are some, maybe many, listening to me, and you grew up in a home without good discipline. And so maybe even the, the word father for you got distorted by a dad who disciplined you in anger, not love, or wasn't even there to discipline you because he abandoned you. God is not like that. We've got to understand that when it talks about God being our father, it means the best kind of father. So uh, Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children. What does that mean, compassion? It means his heart is for them. He loves them. He doesn't like it when they're suffering and hurting. He feels for them. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God's heart is always for his children. I had said earlier that pain can distort our thinking, and here's one way it does that. You, you've put your trust in Christ. You're striving to obey him. And then something awful happens in your life. I mean, terrible. And you look at it, and the thought that could easily come to your head is, God must not love me. God must not love me very much to allow this. And that's not true. That's what this is telling us. It's not true. A painful situation never means that God doesn't love you. Every good father disciplines his children for their good because he loves them and allowing hard times into your life is how God disciplines you. So it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he does. James 1, 2, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. A trial, by definition, is hard and painful. For, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance. It's the same word. It's the same word. So, that's one way. If all of your hardship is discipline, it means you're part of the family Second way it helps to regard hardship as discipline, if, if all of your hardship is discipline, and again, if you're a believer in Jesus, it is, then that means your suffering is never outside of God's knowledge or control.
He's not a helpless bystander. He is the almighty, sovereign God who, in all things, works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things. That can be so hard. To believe. And that's why Romans 12.33 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Look at this. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. What is that saying? It's saying you're not going to be able to figure it out. I hate that. I I have this belief that if I could just understand why this was happening, I'd be okay with it, which is almost certainly not true. But I want to understand it. This is saying you probably won't be able to figure it out. You will not be able to figure out. God's paths are beyond tracing out. God's ways are unfathomable, unsearchable. We're not given detailed explanations for our pain. You remember the book of Job? Job suffered all this stuff. He said, I wish God would just show up and explain to me why this is going on. Well, God showed up, but he didn't explain anything. He said, this is who I am, Job. Job goes, okay, I'm good with that. That's a paraphrase, but that's what happens. <laughs> We're not given detailed explanations of our pain. We are told that it's the discipline of our Father, and he's loving. And that means here's the third way. It helps if your hardship is discipline, and if you're a believer in Jesus, it is, then that means God is at work for your good in all of your hardship. All of it. Your suffering is never random. It's never pointless. It feels like it, but it isn't. Because no matter what it feels like, no matter how awful it is, no matter who or what is causing it, above and beyond all of the evil intentions of sinful people and demonic powers, above and beyond it all, are the good intentions of our loving Father. Scripture teaches this over and over and over. So the story of Joseph. Betrayed by his own family, his own brothers. Sold into slavery. Then wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit. In jail for years during the, you know, best years of his life he spent in prison. Joseph knew, or came to know, came to understand that above and beyond the evil intentions of his brothers, for which they were totally responsible, by the way, none of this takes away their responsibility, 
They freely chose to do the terrible things they did. But Joseph, when he had the opportunity, he looked at them and said, you, you intended to harm me. You know, this wasn't just an accident. You didn't just sort of, you know, happen to do harm to me. You meant it. You intended to harm me, but God intended it. Intended what? The same thing that they intended for evil. The same thing. God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look at that. Two completely different intentions. In the exact same circumstance. And God's good intention is the one that ultimately prevails. And the ultimate example of this, of course, is Jesus and what he suffered. Okay? Here's the one truly innocent person who's ever lived. You know, I suppose it's true that all of us, whenever we're experiencing hard times, can always think, well, you know, I'm a sinner. I don't really deserve better than this. But Jesus' suffering was completely unjust and horrific. Why did it happen? Look at Acts 2. 23. Here's Peter, the apostle, and he's proclaiming the gospel to a crowd in Jerusalem. And he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Which is just another way of saying, what you meant for evil God meant for good, the saving of many lives, including yours and mine. Okay, but but what? Uh, Okay, we're in our pain, we're in our suffering, we're in our hardship, and we think, all right, I don't, what good could possibly come out of this? Verse 10, he disciplines us for our good, for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see it? Holiness, peace, righteousness. If those things don't sound worth the pain, it's just because we don't realize how great those things are and how much joy we will experience when God brings those to fullness in our lives. Holiness, sharing His holiness. Peace, righteousness. These are the good things that your Father in Heaven is using your using hardship to develop in your life. He's using a process you don't like to produce something you're going to love. You're going to love it. So you've got to remember what's true about your suffering. This this is not something you're just going to automatically, oh, good, hard times, love it. You're going to have to sit yourself down, grab yourself by the lapels and say, hey, remember what's true. Remember what's true. Remember what Jesus suffered and what came of it. Remember, all of your hardship is discipline from a loving father.
and that will help you endure. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, you know full well that uh, this is not a message I really wanted to preach because living it is so hard and I do not feel I have in any way mastered this. And I know how easy it is for me to feel overwhelmed, to doubt your love, to wonder what in the world's going on when something hard comes into my life. And so I'm sure that there are people listening right now who, God, they're in the middle of something and it doesn't make any sense and they're wondering where you are. And so I pray for everybody in that situation that they will know that you are a loving Father and somehow, somehow you you will work an eternal weight of glory far beyond anything they can imagine through this, that you are at work in all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us when we're just having a hard time remembering that, or we, we know it in our heads, but we don't feel it in our hearts. Help us. Help us now to uh, remember Jesus in his suffering and all that you did through that for our good and our joy. We pray in his name. Amen.